Now let me read our passage and then I'll pray and then I'll get into what I think is a really dynamic message this morning. Romans chapter 1 starting in verse 8. The Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Rome and he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let us pray. God, I come before you um, wanting to be your servant, um, wanting to be a messenger for your glory And I pray that you would help me to speak words that would honor you, be true to Scripture. And Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would speak to this congregation. We are needy, uh, dependent. Um, Many times in our lives we find our, 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 our lives confused. Help us to get the clarity of the gospel and the clarity of our call in this world. And we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. So speak to us where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning, really what I want you to be thinking about is I want you to be thinking about this. The world is awaiting your ministry. The world awaits your ministry. I believe that every person within the sound of my voice is called to two things. Number one, called to belong to God through Jesus Christ. And number two, called to represent him and minister to people for his name and for his glory. I genuinely believe that every Christian, no matter where you're at, is called to be an arrow that points to heaven. You're called to be light in darkness. You're called to influence people for the glory of God so that at the end of your life, they won't just say, hey, that was a nice guy or say, oh, that was a, she was a great lady. But they'll say, man, she was all about Christ and God. He was all about God and he made a difference in my life. Somewhere in this world and in this church and in your, in your very life, you are called to influence people for God. And think about it. For some of you, it might be your children. You're like, you have, you have kids and you got a family and, and you might be called to kind of minister to your children so that they'll remember the things you talked about, about God or about Christ. Or maybe it's coworkers, or maybe it's in the church. Maybe there's something for you to do in and through our church ministry or, or a church somewhere, but somewhere in this world, you're called to represent God. Now, when the preacher starts talking like that, we have a problem. The problem we, we have is that when we think about doing things for God, we, think, we start thinking, well, I don't know how talented I am. You know, like, like I see talented people and God could surely use that talented person more than he could use me. 
Or God could use that really gifted person more than he could use me. And we begin to kind of rationalize why it is that we probably really aren't called to be used for the glory of God and all of those things. But I want you to know that God loves using little people. Can I get an amen right here? To do big things. God loves using the least to show he's the most. God loves using little vessels to do extraordinary things so that he will get the glory and you won't get the glory. Isn't that good news? In fact, God says, listen, I can use Gideon in the Old Testament. I can use Abraham and David. And all of these people represented that God uses small vessels to do big things. Now listen to me. You are called in some ways, even in your limitations, you're called to be used by God. And what I want to talk to you about today is cultivating a heart. You don't need to worry about talents. Worry about, hey, listen, I want to give my heart to God because a cultivated heart for God can be used for God in ministry and in this world for his glory. When we come to Romans chapter 1, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is wanting to communicate. He's writing to these Christians in Rome, and we saw last week in his salutation that he was really outlining his credentials for ministry. He wanted the Roman Christians to see that he was credentialed as an apostle, that he had an experience in the gospel of Jesus Christ that had depth, in fact, that had similar experiences that they had had in Jesus Christ, but he also had something perhaps deeper to teach them. And so he was kind of given his credentials and his experience. But this week, what I read this morning was Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. And what Paul is wanting to express and communicate to the Christian Romans that he's never met before is he's wanting to reveal his heart for ministry. He wants to show them that he's got real heart for them. You know, there's an old adage, people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. Isn't that true? And the Apostle Paul, he's never met these Christians. And despite his title and his call and his dramatic salvation, he wants to say, listen, I want to show you my heart. I want to show you my heart and I want to show you what drives my motives for ministry so that I can, again, get trust from you, have credibility with you, so I can teach you some stuff that's going to help you go high in worship and go far in mission. And so in this Thanksgiving or prayer of Thanksgiving, he reveals... To us, how we might be edified in cultivating a heart for ministry. Like, I need a heart for ministry. Paul shows us in this prayer, and he gives us four things. Likely, I'll only get to three if this goes like the first service. Although, you are the second service, so I can go as long as I want. (laughs) But, number one, how can I cultivate a heart for ministry? Number one, you need to cultivate a relationship with God. You're like, that sounds really simple. I know, but sometimes the simple thing is the hard thing, isn't it? And Paul reveals that the reason why he has such a passion for ministry and passion to minister to this world for God is because he has a relationship with God. Look at verse 8. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now you can see, he's saying, hey man, I'm really passionate about you. I'm praying about you all the time. 
I'm excited because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. There's Christians in Rome. And any Christian in the Roman Empire, when they would hear that there's Christians in Rome, would get excited. It would be kind of like us hearing that there are Christians in San Francisco. We would be like, it's a miracle, right? I mean, and that's how Paul says, it's like your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. Christians are excited that there are Christians in Rome. And I pray for you without ceasing. And I want to come to you. I want to be with you. I mean, he's just showing his heart. But his emphasis, what he's doing, his emphasis is, do you see that my heart for you is not really rooted in my personality or the fact that I know exactly what your personality is? My heart for you is rooted in my relationship with God. It's my relationship with God that is fueling and igniting my passion to desire to do ministry with you. And he shows us what a relationship with God is in three phrases. Let me give those to you. And then they're in your outline in the bulletins. Or I forgot to tell you about that. There are outlines in your bulletins you can follow along. But the first phrase that in, in, indicates kind of a critical dimension of our relationship with God is he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Now, everybody say, my God. Now, that is a radical statement. It's easy for somebody to talk about God as a concept or a theory or a philosophy. Like, I do believe there's a God. I believe that if you look at the design of creation, there's design, and that points to a designer, and there's a God. But it's really almost uh, presumptuous, might we say, to say that God is my God. Like, that's a profound statement of ownership And an intense and intimate relationship. God is not only God, he is my God. In fact, in the Old Testament, this phrase is rarely used. It's it's only used by people like like King David. He says, watch this, Psalm 63 and verse 1. David said, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David is is claiming ownership of God, my God. And Paul is doing the same thing. You you might remember last week we talked about how how Paul said, "I I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I belong to Jesus. Jesus purchased me with his blood and he's chained me and I'm a slave and an under rower to Jesus Christ. And he was talking about how Jesus had taken possession of him. But this week he's talking about how he has taken possession of God. God is my God. And I want to tell you, I want to tell every human being within the sound of my voice, do you know that God does not have to be a distant figure to you like the stars in the sky that every now and then you go out and go, oh, that's a beautiful idea. God doesn't have to be a, a, distant, a distant figure in your life that he's far away. Do you know that in Jesus Christ, God can be your God so that no matter where you're at, you can lay hold of God. And you can say, I belong to God. I am the son of God. I am the daughter of God. I belong to God right now, and I can talk to him. He will never leave me or forsake me. It doesn't matter who you are. You can have that. You're like, come on now. I mean, if you're going to quote David, I get it that King David would be able to say, my God. Or if you're going to read from Romans and read this great, one of the most famous Christian documents in the world and and, and quote the Apostle Paul saying, my God, that makes sense because he's the Apostle Paul. But what I want you to note is he says that God is his God, not because of his works, not because of what he's accomplished, 
Not because he's a missionary. Not because he's religious. Not because he's got talent or giftedness. You know what he says? He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. That it is the person and the work of Jesus Christ that makes, good, that makes Paul right with God. And therefore, he only claims Jesus as his way to say that God is his God. Because in his own works or his own religion, he could never claim that God was his God. But Jesus died for Paul. Jesus forgave Paul. Jesus, Jesus provided freedom for Paul. The least of the apostles, the chief of sinners, was saved by grace. And he's saying, God is my God because Jesus died for me. And therefore, when Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said that so all believers could say, my God, my God, you will never forsake me. You will never leave me. And I, I want to just say, don't waste that. Don't waste that gift. Don't waste the gift of Jesus who makes God yours by faith. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then every day you should cry out, My God, my God, you are with me in a dry and thirsty. Do we live in a dry and thirsty land right now? Are we living in an absolute wilderness? Does it seem like darkness is increasing? Does it seem like things are getting going from bad to worse in every category? Economically, socially, spiritually, in every category. Everything's falling apart around us. We are living in parched and dry land. And yet even then we can say, my God is my God. Because Jesus made it so. Do you see that? And you know what? You might be having the worst week or the worst month or everything might fall apart or, or everything you dreamed of. All of your hopes and dreams could fall apart. But you know God is sufficient. God is immovable. God is immutable. God is sovereign and omnipotent and he's sufficient for all your needs. And in Jesus Christ, you can taste that sufficiency. You can drink from that living water. And you can say, he is my God. And that will drive your heart for ministry. I just I put a little blank in your in your document there, whatever we call those things, those things in your bulletin. There's a little blank, and I just put secure. Are you secure in your relationship with God? My God through Jesus Christ. Not a, there's a second blank and a second phrase. The second blank really is not only is my relationship with God secure, my relationship with God is spiritual. Paul is talking about the deep spirituality of his relationship with God in really a very profound statement. And I don't want to gloss it over or rush through it because it's so profound and important. Uh, and he says in verse 9, he says, For God is my witness... That's a great phrase, too, by the way. He's taking an oath. He's saying, God is witnessing me. And he says, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Douglas Moo, a commentator, a commentator on, on the book of Romans, he talks about that. When Paul says that he serves God with his spirit, he's talking about that part of his life that is most open to communion with God. That there is a, listen, there is a part of every believer in Jesus Christ that is uniquely and especially open to the very Spirit of God. And the question is, tapping into that part of our life where God uniquely resides by His Holy Spirit and making sure that we're accessing that room and having relationship with God there. 
Jesus talked about this profound experience that any human being could have by faith in him when he talked to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And just to clarify, let me go to that passage to supplement Romans so that we can get some understanding on this very point. John chapter 4, Jesus says to the the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, uh, John 4 verse 23, he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And here's what we know. We know this. That before Jesus came and accomplished His work on the cross and died and defeated death, that the only way that people could actually think that they were right with God was through external places and external laws, and they could go and fulfill and do things and go to certain places and provide outward sacrifices. But hallelujah, Jesus came, and what did he come to do? He came to die for our sins and defeat death so that the very Spirit of God could make us a temple by which God resides, that God could reside in you and me. You're like, wow, That's a Hebrew word, by the way. Wow. You can say it right or left. Either way. Wow. And what that means is that God comes into our life, and we can have communion and fellowship with him in a very deep and spiritual way. We can pray to him. We can be empowered by him. Not only is God with me, God is in me in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, there's no way for a preacher to outline in a formula how how that works out practically, you know? Like, there's no way. But the one thing the preacher can say on this very point is that we need to eliminate things in our life that are obstructing and eclipsing the voice of God in our heart and our mind because the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. We have the Holy Spirit. But does the Holy Spirit have us? The Holy Spirit, we have possession of the Holy Spirit, but does he possess us on a daily basis? And with the ubiquitous noise going on all around us, with ubiquitous opportunities to snuff out the voice of God in our life, you and I have to be very intentional, don't we, to evict those noises enough so that you and I are having regular communion and hearing from the Spirit of God and being driven to sincerity and devotion and authenticity so that our religion is not outward, external disinterested activities, but it's actually an engaged part of our spiritual life in our life. You have the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? You have God with you at all times. There's nothing left for you to get from God. He is with you. But you see, we get distracted. You know, I I always like to tell a story. I have four daughters, which is wonderful. I love having four daughters. But they have all these stuffed animals, and some of my older daughters are growing out of that, but my little ones still have all these stuffed animals and, and Barbies and little dolls and, and all these pink things. And me and my, my, my male dog, Rue, who's about that big, he's the only other dude in the house, right? And we have to watch this, and sometimes he gets dressed up as a girl, which, that's a tough life. But anyways... <laughs> But, but, but sometimes one of my daughters come running downstairs, freaking out, crying, just crying, crying. I lost my stuffed animal. 
And usually they have a name. Like we have a stuffed animal called Blue Moon, right? Little, little blue dog stuffed animal. I lost Blue Moon, you know. Blue Moon is gone. Blue Moon is gone forever, you know. And it's this whole emergency thing. And it's like, well, did Blue Moon get legs and just walk out of the house, you know? And, and sometimes they're like, well, maybe, you know, it's Blue Moon. Like probably not. You know what we usually do? We usually go upstairs to the bedroom. And when we look at that bedroom, Tarzan couldn't get through that sucker. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you could hang branches from the jungle. You still could not swing through this thing. So you, gotta, you know what we have to do? We got to clean up the room, put stuff up. And usually underneath all that junk is who? Blue moon. Blue moon. And, you know, you and I, sometimes we think God's left me. God isn't here. God's not speaking. He's speaking all the time. But sometimes we got to take out the trash. Can I get an amen? Sometimes we got to take out the junk. Sometimes we got to get rid of all the stuff. Concentration comes through elimination. And sometimes the best thing we can do is say, listen, my life and relationship with God is spiritual. And I need to make sure that I'm accessing that part of my life that the Holy Spirit is talking to. Because there is a part of me that is very open to God and very open to his will. You see, our relationship with God needs to be secure through Jesus. It needs to be spiritual in the Holy Spirit. God not only with me, but God is in me. And then finally, my relationship with God needs to be submissive. Paul's relationship with God, driving his heart for ministry, is that he's completely submitted to the will of God. This is so important, especially in our culture. We need to hear this kind of stuff so often. He says in verse 10, that he's always praying for them. And he says, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He's saying, man, I have bought airplane tickets so many times. I've made plans so many. I want to be in Rome with you. I want nothing more. My dream is to go to Rome. But he says, I am waiting for the will of God to open it up. And what that means is, is that he's completely submitted to the will of God. Even his dreams even his hopes, even his desires or his plans. And you're probably like me. I mean, I start thinking about the future, and I got plans. And I think about things that I want to do and places I want to go. But at the end of the day, my call as a believer in Christ is to constantly surrender my plans to God and allow God to tell me, no, or it's not time, or it's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not go time yet. You know, the Holy Spirit is not just a yes man. Can I get an amen? The Holy Spirit sometimes is a a no God in our life, a a big red light to things that we want and things we dream. And Paul is saying what drives me on my ministry is submission to God, is, is this idea that relationship is impossible without a series of submissions. And my life is completely submitted to the will of God. And that's why I'm praying all the time because I'm praying all the time because I need to keep coming back to God and saying, this is my plan. Is it yours? This is what I think should happen. Is it yours? And until God gives him the yes or the no, he won't act in any way. Are you like that with God? Are you like that with God? You know, sometimes for us Americans, you know, and I I talk about this all the time because I think I need to hear it and say it, and I need you to hear it, and I need we need to hold each other accountable. But God does not exist to be my therapist. He's not my counselor. He's he's not 
He's, he's not, and, and forgive me for being so blunt, but I feel like I need to say it. He's not a shrink. He's not a domesticated thing. Like, I'm not feeling good, so I think I'll go talk to God now so I can feel better. Sometimes we do feel better when we talk to God. But let me tell you something. God is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the sovereign maker of the universe. And he came in Jesus Christ not so we could feel better, but so that we could be owned by him. And so we could say, he's my king. He's my Lord. He's my leader. He leads my home. He leads my relationships. He leads my life. If he says something about lifestyle, I'm getting on his game plan. If he says something about standards, I'm getting on his game plan. My life and my relationship with God is one of submission. And when he tells me to go, I will go. And when he tells me to stop, even if everything in me doesn't want to stop, I will stop because that's his will. Man, a heart for ministry must be driven by that submission, that relationship rooted in submission. Is your relationship with God secure? Is your relationship with God spiritual? Is your relationship with God submissive? That's so important. And man, when you begin to practice those things, your heart will begin to beat for him and for his glory. You will begin to see things you never thought you'd see before. All kinds of things are going to open up to you as you do that. Cultivate a relationship with God. But the second thing, not only does Paul cultivate a relationship with God, and we should too... But he also cultivates a encouragement in community. Encouragement in community. Let me read verses uh, 11 and 12 in Romans chapter 1 and watch this. He says here in Romans 1 verse 11, he says, For I long to see you. Doesn't that, isn't that just, that's filled with heart, isn't it? It's like, almost like a love letter. I long to see you. Reminds me of like those Jane Austen movies, you know, like, how many of y'all seen Pride and Prejudice? I know every line in that movie because we've watched it so many times. Daughters. Okay, anyways. (laughs) I long to see you, he says, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Here we begin to understand that Paul sees the importance of the church and community. That the perseverance of faith and the ignition of our passion for ministry for God and his glory really happens in the context of community. It happens in church. And he says that he longs to see them so that he, he says literally, so I can impart to you some spiritual gift. Now when we see that phrase spiritual gift, for those of us who've heard a lot of Bible teaching in our life, um, and for those of you who haven't, We Christians believe that when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit gives us unique tools and gifts to build up the body of Jesus Christ, as outlined in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. However, when we look at the uh, syntactical and grammatical construction of the Greek text, we, we know that he's really not talking about that. In fact, he adds words to the idea of gift and charisma um, that would make it seem like that he's actually talking about an insight. One commentator says that Paul is saying that he, 
he wants to get to them so that he can give them some insight that will benefit their ministry, build up and strengthen them. But he doesn't know exactly what that insight will be until he's boots on the ground and he actually experiences their church community and experiences what they actually need. And he's saying, once I get to you, I really want to get to you. I really want to be with you so that I can figure out what holes need to be filled in your ministry so I can strengthen you so that I can encourage you and serve your church community based on its needs, not not my needs. And I have to tell you, this is so important to have a heart for ministry. Our heart for ministry must be kind of like Paul. God, help me to fill whatever need exists in that church. And every church is different. Paul doesn't have some prefabricated idea of what he wants to do in Rome based on the church in Corinth or the church in Ephesus or the church in Thessalonica. What he understands is that the church has needs, and when he gets there, he needs to fill those needs as he is able to. And I have to tell you, this is big insight in my own life. I would say in the last five years, maybe hopefully last ten years, but I've seen a little bit of growth in my life. i still got to grow a little bit more. But, you know, I used to think, and I've heard other Christians talk like this, and I know what this is. But I used to think that the church existed for my gifts. That the church existed for me to have a platform. That the church existed for my passions. And what I quickly began to understand is is that as a pastor and a preacher and looking out pastorally on congregations, that our perspective cannot be that the church exists for my passions or my desires or my plan or my agenda. But in fact, my gifts exist for the church. That my passions exist to serve and strengthen the church. The church, beloved, is not our savior. Can I get an amen? The church is not our idol. It's not something that's going to save us. Your church is not going to save you. When you have Jesus Christ, you got all the salvation you're ever going to need. Can I get an amen? So the only thing left for us in perspective of our relationship to the church is, God, I want to get to them and see what needs they have, and then I want to plug those holes as you are able to make me plug those holes so I can strengthen them. Because I'm already strong in you, but I exist now to strengthen them and what their needs are. That's so relevant. I think, you know, back in about 1980s, 19. Uh, 90s, a great, it was kind of a good movement, the contemporary church movement, seeker movement, the kind of, hey, let's go reach some unchurched people. It was a very good thing that happened, but, th- but there were some kind of bad outcomes that came from that movement as well. And one of the outcomes that came from that movement was this perspective of, you know, you need to find your spiritual gift and then find the ministry that your spiritual gift will work in because you need to only do the things that you're passionate about doing and that you desire to do. And so we got this big kind of consumer perspective like, well, I'm going to wait till the church has something that I can do that I'm passionate about. And then when they do something that I'm passionate about, then maybe I'll jump in and kind of become a volunteer. You know what I'm saying? And I got to tell you, it's a bunch of poppycock and boulder dash, to be honest with you. Because we exist in Christ to get in the church and say, where's the need? I'm going to do everything I can to help that need. Y'all are looking at me like, I'm never coming back here again. Well, you know, let me give you an example in our own church community. In our own church community, we've got a great mission to make more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. And we've got four values. Passion, truth, love, and mission. 
And what we got to do to make more and better disciples is we've got to have a great children's ministry, which we've got the foundation for. We've got Kids Town Ministry. And one of the things I've, I've done this week is I've said we are not going to beg for volunteers anymore. We are never, we're not going to announce begging announcements. We're not going to beg people to do things. We're not going to do this anymore. We got needs to be filled. And so what we're saying now to parents is if you're a parent of a child, you need to sign up. If this is your church home and you're a member, we're requiring you to sign up on the list in your child's room and to serve at least once a month because that's what we need because our children have to be safe. We got to have two adults with our children every single week. We got to make sure they're safe. And by the way, men, dads, those kids need to see you in that classroom. They do. And you need to see them in that classroom too. You like need that really bad probably. And you know, we men can't look at the women and go, well, that's just for the women to do. Oh, no, no, no. We need men to step up as well. And we need those classroom staff. So when you go over there, you're going to put your name on there. You're going to give your email. We're going to do a background check and we're going to plug you in. You're going to go once a month. And if we, get, if we get enough people that don't leave the church as a result of this announcement, you might only have to do once every other month. <laughs> but if you're going to come to church and be a parent, you're going to be with your kid. You're like, I'm with my kid all week long. Well, we're going to give you some more quality time, right? And I can tell you, this is important. We have to do ministry in a way that's not sitting around waiting to do only what we want to do. We got to do ministry. And I get it that, you know, like, well, I'm, I don't feel called to teach. I get it. You still got to step up. Now, I'll tell you a little story in my own life, my own ministry. When I was 20, 21 years old, um, I used to, uh, I went to uh, this pastor who was uh, planting a church, and my brother was his worship pastor, and they were in a storefront, and they had, you know, about 100, 150 people at that time, and it was this brand new, exciting church plant, and I sat down with them, and I was 20, 21 years old, somewhere in there, and I said, I'm going to be a preacher, and I'm going to be a pastor, and he's like, man, that, hallelujah, and I was like, and I, I'm going to do great, I've got this vision, of, you know, and I outlined all this vision, I was just young, and just, I knew way more than I actually knew, if, I, if you take my meaning. And he's like, that is outstanding. And I said, so when are you going to let me preach? And he said, with that attitude, never. <laughs> I, but this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I'm gifted to do. And he said, I tell you what, here's what you need to do. When we do worship services, we have this big overhead projector. Do you all remember those big overhead projectors with the big shiny light that came out of it? And how many of you all know about transparencies that you put on the... Do you all know what I'm talking about? And the worship words were on the transparency. And my brother was leading worship. And he said, what I want you to do is do the transparency ministry every Sunday morning. And, of course, I was so cocky. Everybody say cocky. Cocky. I was like... Put in my bubble gum. I had my coffee. I had my little stack of transparencies with the worship words on it. And I sat down. And I turned it on. And it had, remember those things? They had like a little motor. like, 
had that big bright light. And the first song my brother started singing, I pulled out the transparency and I put it down. And you know what it was? It was upside down. Because if you read it one way, it goes the other way, right? And so then I was like, whoa. And then I flipped it. And then it was turned this way. And then the next thing you know, I started getting nervous. Next thing you know, the whole time I was shaking. And you could see my hand with the light shaking while I'm trying to get it on there just right. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst transparency guy in the world. And it was, listen, the best thing that could have happened to me. You want to know why? It humbled me. And then he comes to me and he says, you know what, Josh? I think it's time for you to preach. Are you ready to preach? And you know what I said? I don't think so. I'm going to be horrible. If I can't do transparency, how am I going to write a sermon? And it was this great thing. And you know what? We need to strengthen the church. Sometimes even with our imperfect efforts, people need to see a shake a little bit. We need to jump in there. You're going to learn things. And what will begin to happen is when you begin to serve in that way, God will open up doors for the thing that you're actually passionate for. Because that testing that step, that service, that strengthening will open up Holy Spirit opportunities for you then to finally find the opportunities to do the work of ministry. Let me just say that Paul had that heart. He wanted them to see that heart. And he wanted them to see that they could teach him something too. Not only could he strengthen them, but he could be encouraged in the church, he says in verse 12. He says that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So let me just say that cultivating a heart for ministry means encouragement in community, encouragement through strengthening the church, and encouragement by being encouraged in the church. You know, next week we're going to start up our life groups. We're going to give you a list of life groups. We're going to give you a list of, of community opportunities, some focus opportunities for men's groups and women's groups and things like that. We're going to give you that list. I encourage you to jump into those life groups and pray with people and be encouraged by people and eat with people and join the community and really get encouraged so that as you're encouraged, you will, you will begin to have a heart for ministry like Paul had. He understood the importance of that church community and his own encouragement. Hmm. So not only did Paul have a relationship with God, and not only did he have encouragement in the community, but thirdly, he also had ambition for mission. We need to cultivate ambition for mission. He says in verse 13 and following, watch what he says. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You can see this white-hot zeal and passion on Paul's part to really reach people. Uh, he is a man bent on mission. And you ask me, well, what is mission? Well, mission is making more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. That's what mission is. Uh, uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, it says here in the Great Commission, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Paul is tapping into that very mission, and so should we. We're all called to that, to reach out without watering down the gospel. That's what kind of what we're about. And Paul indicates what it is that drives his ambition for mission. Let me give you three specific words to help you cultivate an ambition for mission in a healthy way. The first thing is he has expectation. He has mission expectation. He expects that God has prepared people for him to reach for Jesus' name. You can see it when he says, I hope to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you. That word harvest is always used in the New Testament to describe the full sequence of reaching people and making them uh, disciples. And Jesus told us again in John chapter 4 as he talked about our expectation of mission. Jesus talking about the Samaritan woman context. She had been saved. She got her village and brought them to believe in him. And he says to his disciples in response to, they're like, you need to eat something. He's like, man, my food is to do the will of God. And he says in John 4, verse 35, he says, do do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, hey man, you need to lift up your eyes. You need to expect That God is preparing a harvest of people to be reached who are ready to hear from God. Who are ready to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're ready because God has prepared them. It's a great harvest. And Paul is saying, I believe that in Rome there is a harvest for me. And I'm expecting that when I get there, those people that God has prepared to to believe in the gospel as a result of my ministry will be there. There's a harvest. There's a harvest. This is a good time to talk about harvest, isn't it? You, know, you drive through, and there's all, the, there's all the tall corn, and you go, man, they're about to harvest. James, I bet you you're about to harvest, and you're going to harvest all that great corn and everything like that. And it's also time we're reminded of the great pumpkin harvest. Can I get an amen? We live near the com- pumpkin capital of the world. And, you know, I was in Morton the other day, and I'm standing on a parishioner's front porch, something I typically do from time to time, and an odor hit me. Y'all know about this odor. And it's one of those odors. Now, if you're like me, because I I mean, I'm five years in, so I'm one of you. Like, I get this community. But it's one of those odors I'm still not quite used to. And I'm kind of standing there. And it's one of those odors where you're like, and then like, and then you're like, then you're like, you're like, you're like, you're like, I step in some dog, because 